Okay, well, we'll, um, we'll kick off. It's a great pleasure to welcome Declan French, and I suppose it's a great pleasure to welcome <laughs> Michael Moore. Um, he's an old, an old friend, and it's great to see him. I think your first trip to Derry. It is, actually, yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, in some joint work with uh, David Canning from Harvard, who's going to talk about structural models of life cycle, fertility, labour, and consumption. And I'm sure there's some sort of convoluted handover of the uh, of power of presentation, but I'll leave you guys to sort out. Thanks, guys. Uh, right. Uh, my name is Declan French. Um, uh, I'm going to present this, uh, this piece of work, but it's essentially a work in progress, and there's a number of different things that we need to sort out. So uh, some, some problems we recognize ourselves, and if you've got any objections that you've, you have yourself, that will also be very beneficial for us. Uh, essentially, what we're doing is we're looking at, um, at life cycle decisions. Uh, we're looking at fertility, labour and consumption decisions of a woman over the life cycle and how she, uh, she plans those decisions. <clears throat> uh, a lot of the, um, uh, the work that we do is based uh, on the US, uh, a national longitudinal survey there. Uh, so a lot of, um, there's a lot of literature in this area, uh, but essentially I'll just review the ones that are, are more pertinent, the ones that are based on similar data uh, and are also based in the US. Uh, so first of all, Wal Fogel uh, produced a paper uh, in the Journal of Economic Perspectives uh, that looked at uh, a comparison between uh, women's and, and men's salary um, over the, the, the previous two decades, and she found that essentially that wages were converting. There was less, there was less difference. Uh, but what she did find is that uh, there was a marked difference between uh, salaries for women with children and women's without. Uh, so, running a, a number of regressions, static regress, uh, log wage regressions, uh, she found that it was of the order of uh, one child uh, has the effect of uh, depressing a woman's wage by about 6%, and for two children it was about 15%. Um, so, her, her idea was that basically, uh, in the States, uh, maternity leave was so poor that uh, at that time it was of the order of 12 weeks and that essentially women had to fall out of the workforce or they had to basically change employer. So they suffered penalties as a result. Um, the work since then uh, has looked at it in a little bit more uh, detail, uh, trying to first of all disassociate the effect of uh, when the child was born, uh, does the effect stay constant over time? Um, also, uh, to what effect the skill level of the woman uh, has on, on the, the penalty, the wage cost of having children. Um, and also the age at which the, the first birth happens. It doesn't matter where you have the, whether you have the child late or, or early. Um, so first of all, uh, this is um, literature from the, the, the middle of the decade. Um, what, what they found was a bit, a bit of a mixed bag. They, uh, in some cases, they found that there was no penalty at all, no higher penalty for high school women. Um, in some cases, they found uh, there was no difference between high and low skilled women. Um, so more recent literature um, has looked at this in a, in a little bit, um, in a bit more of a sophisticated uh, level, looking at the interaction of the age of first birth uh, with the, the level of schooling. Uh, essentially what these two um, pieces of work have found, this is in the Journal of Pop Population Economics and this is a, a working paper, it hasn't come out yet. Uh, what they, what they uh, have is a, a, what they call a mommy track. Essentially what they say is that over time, uh, the woman's wage is increasing with experience, 
but as soon as she has a child, she goes off onto a lower uh, wage rate, uh, a lower, um, uh, a lower basically um, relationship between experience and, and wages. So she's she's on that kind of tra trajectory over time. But as soon as she has the child, she she flattens out. Um, on the other hand, uh, this is a separate literature. This is simply looking at um, the effect of teenage pregnancies in, in disadvantaged areas on women's uh, opportunities. Uh, and in this case, in the case of disadvantaged women, they, uh, Cherlin, reviewing the literature in 2001, found that there really wasn't an effect at all, that uh, teenage mothers didn't suffer uh, any more than uh, the women who didn't have children. Uh, it should be American. Yeah. So uh, they, they basically say that uh, the early literature basically said there was a penalty, but they seem to put uh, those results down to econometric problems. Um, okay, uh, so this is the, the graph from, uh, from the Elwood paper. Um, it looks a bit of a mess, but it's actually uh, quite informative. Uh, first of all, they're just looking at uh, high IQ women. So this is the Armed Forces Qualification Test. So they, uh, they take uh, the one-third of women in uh, the high IQ category, and what they do is they look at how their wages evolve over time. Uh, so what you have here is, uh, if you look at the dark brown line, first of all, this is a woman who has a child very late. So she doesn't have a child until uh, her sometime in her late 30s. So what you have is you have this kind of trajectory, and then as soon as she has the child, it starts flattening out. Uh, more noticeably, uh, when you look at the women who have children earlier, for example, this purple line is women having children at the age of 30 to 32. Once again, they're following the same trajectory. As soon as the woman has the child, it flattens out. And uh, if you look at the more extreme situation, then with the woman having the child very early in her 21 to 23, that as soon as she reaches that age, she's on a different wage growth path uh, entirely. So there's different, uh, there's different number of, uh, yeah? Wait, you don't have to know where it is. It seems like having kids doesn't necessarily. Uh, yeah, okay. It's a very good question. Actually, in fact, we could also show you one from there, which actually looks the same. It looks like having children and doing well at work are not probably at home. And basically women They, they put it more diplomatically. They, yeah. they, they basically say yeah, that the, the characteristics that are attractive to a potential partner uh, or unattractive to a potential partner, maybe in the, in the case of someone who doesn't have any births, are also the characteristics that are unattractive to an employer. So, so basically the same is there's a, a correlation. Are these hourly wages? Uh, are these hourly wages? Yeah, they should be. There's no labor supply effects at all. It's purely wage effects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the no birth category would include people with severe disabilities? Uh, perhaps it would, yeah. I mean, this is all based on a longitudinal survey of about 5,000 women. Uh, I'm not sure how representative disabled women would be among that group. But, yeah, perhaps. 
that is the other thing about this graph. I mean, basically, the, the weights between the three different curves are different because there's obviously different numbers of women having children at different times. So it's, it's also worth emphasizing here there's a number of different points in here. We're not just saying that women who have children get paid less as always. Um, that, that would imply simply that the, the intercept change. What we're actually saying more than that, we're saying that the return to experience is actually the actual slow decline. You can see it's most obvious, I think, with the blue line there. You know, where as soon as the this is it for women who are age, children their first child between 24 and 26. And then as soon as they reach to have a child, then they return to experience symptoms for very good. I think this is a novel feature uh, of this uh, of this thing. And uh, this is behind scale that we're going to have. Okay. Uh, there's a number of different um, uh, possible hypotheses that they, they analyze in, in this particular piece of work. Uh, so basically, some people say uh, it's that the woman makes less effort. Uh, or that she's perceived to be making less effort, she's like less committed to the firm. Uh, they also looked at whether there was an effect of lost experience or changing to part-time hours and so on. Uh, the part-time hours explained some of the effect, the lost experience explained some of the effect, but even when you looked at women who returned to the exact same employer after having the child uh, and carried on working full-time in the same job, even they were on a different tra trajectory. So, um, so the question seems to be more about either they make less effort or they're perceived to be making less effort. Uh, and then they also looked at the effect of uh, marital status uh, with the idea of maybe somehow getting at the, the effort uh, question from, from that point of view, because basically assuming that the woman who is married doesn't have to make as much of an effort in her job. Uh, but they found that marital status didn't really uh, influence the situation at all. So they didn't make a definitive conclusion at the end of it, but they, they said something along the lines of, they, well, there seems to be a residual effect that could possibly be explained by, by some sort of discrimination uh, towards women. Uh, okay, uh, so the, the important point is that this is a largely high-skilled woman effect. Uh, if you look at low-skilled women, the graphs are pretty flat. Uh, this is the same scale as the previous graph, but the, there isn't really, there's less returns to experience over time, and also there's uh, less of a distinction between whether the woman has a, a child or not. So they, they don't consider women just optimally feeling fertility, they wait until they've done the sort of developed the seed part and slope and then they have children? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, so essentially they're, they're looking at static regressions. They're, 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 they're Yeah, so the, the, the later pieces of work, the, kind of the more dynamic uh, pieces of work to look over the lifetime, uh, look at the interaction of this sort of effect with when the woman decides to have the child. So basically, if there's a penalty of having a child, and if the penalty is greater um, when she has a child early, well, of course, the natural reaction would be to delay uh, childbirth until later. So uh, there isn't that many dynamic sort of... Uh, uh, analyses, there, there really, really is only these two uh, that we've come across. Uh, the first one is uh, an MBER paper, so it's a theoretical piece of work uh, that looks at the interaction of fertility and consumption. So what, what they assume is that when the woman has the child, uh, on the one hand she takes a hit on her wage, uh, but also she takes uh, her ability to accumulate human capital is also reduced. So essentially she takes a hit on the wage and she takes a hit on the wage growth as well. Uh, so what they find is theoretically they find that result. 
that when you have that penalty due to the cost of having children, the natural reaction is to, uh, to delay birth as, as late as possible. Uh, so this is completely theoretical work, wasn't applied to any empirical data at all. Uh, these guys, Hudson Miller, uh, it's a much earlier paper, they looked at the interaction of, of labor and fertility. Uh, they basically uh, said that when you have a child, that makes you uh, less inclined to supply labor uh, because basically you're occupying the house uh, looking after children. Uh, and then they, they used that then to uh, apply that to the data. But that's simply looking at the interaction of, of fertility and labor together. Uh, so what we're proposing to do then, and this is where Michael comes in, is we're proposing to incorporate fertility and labor and consumption in, into the one model uh, with the intention of applying it to data and um, seeing if we can get the same sort of effects. Okay, so um, I, I gather that a lot of people here are, um, are quite empirical and uh, find some of the um, may find some of the that we can are about to encounter a little bit uh, Stylized, you know? uh, but I'm a great believer in storytelling. And in fact, uh, I know several uh, reference to Bob Lucas, and of course, some of you are aware of that. Uh, Bob Lucas is one of his bizarre personal uh, circumstances. Um, when he was, um, he's had two very strange experiences in his life. One relates to uh, an homosexual, and one of them relates to uh, rapping. And no one ever worked out what it is, except for and uh, the second one is more interesting. He developed this idea for a less surprising model, which was a sequence of trading idea. And this is within a single time period um, how decisions are made. Now, how Lucas created um, a, um, a sequence of trading was in relation to, uh, he was trying to explain um, uh, uh, limited information in both macroeconomic contexts and in asset pricing. So he imagined a, a household where there was two members, and of course it's completely sexist, it comes a worker and a shopper, and you work out and just switch yourself. And uh, basically in the morning they wake up, they listen to the news, they share with us, and then they have a family. That's the most important thing they've ever had. And then they split up, and the worker goes working, and the shopper goes shopping. If anything happens, well, while the shopper is shopping and the worker is working, they don't tell it to each other. That's the key. And at the end of the day, they meet up again, they share resources, and they make up. And they start that's where the sequence of training idea comes from. And um, uh, we do know the last time we spoke on this subject was in a paper in Jet in 1990, where at this stage the household turned into a manager of And there was now a yuppie in there as well. Soon after that, his marriage broke up rather predictably. And his wife wouldn't accept any money from him. However, she did develop a contingent divorce settlement. And the contingency was in the event of him winning the Nobel Prize, all the he did, and she did. So uh, I'm afraid I cannot match the excitement of Lucas's life. You know, mine is rather plain and vanilla. It's, uh, so but this, this but, but I really is, it's very common in dynamic problem problems to start off with a sequence break. Remember, this is all within each time frame. So I have uh, three controls and three states. And the first thing in the uh, control variables are the non stationary variables, the chosen variables, and state variables. Sorry, the controls are not are the stationary variables and the uh, and the states are the stationary are the non-stationary variables. So the state the, uh, the, the state variables are the number of children, your wealth, and your experience. These are these are variables accumulated over time. 
children in World War II time. What you choose in these times is consumption, labor supply for the number of hours, and fertility, but for fertility is a probability. It's a number between one and one. It's a problem that is chosen by, for example, contraceptive. It's uh, so because you can't choose to have a child or not have a child. You can only choose a probability. That's the basis. So in each time period, they do with the uh, the uh, the uh, the At the end of the period, all uncertainty, all the suffering from um, to uh, shocks is uh, is resolved, and we start all over again. And it goes over and over again. The second point is the. Uh, is the, is the concept of time and consistency. Now, this is a story I've just told you, uh, and I could change the story. Yeah, this was not the end of the problem. That's the whole point about these, about these stories. But if the second point, which I'm going to make, is the uh, should be more troubling, especially to uh, a behavioral economist. And it is the, uh, is the time and consistency. It is the notion uh, that well, the problem can be specified in such a way that if I make a decision now, the plan I come to, the plan I make for, for my entire lifetime, in the absence of shocks, would never change. In the manner of a mastermind, I started, so I finished. So to say the least, there is obviously no room for hypo discounting in a world like this, because of course that's uh, the whole concept of hypo discounting leads to the, the idea that even the closest period is, uh, is but we have here an idea that comes uh, essentially from the world of uh, rocket launching. And I mean, in this case, actually, I'm not joking, actually, it actually does. The program was developed by, uh, by NASA in the 1950s. Uh, the effectability, you are not entirely familiar with this. Uh, some people were actually trained in another optical control device called the maximum density. And that was actually developed by the, by the Russians during the same period. And the two are identical. They, they made identical in their, in their solution. So I'm going to use dynamic problems. So I'm just trying to imagine that a woman starts at, a, at, at age 14 and she basically launches herself on a trajectory which never changes. Now, it is in the sense that it's expected and shocks that occur are, uh, are, are accounted for and, uh, and the response to shocks is hard. But basically, the decisions I make at the beginning of life are sustained all the way until the end of the day. So this is a lifetime, a fertility lifetime uh, model and during which uh, fertility, uh, labor supply, and uh, consumption trajectories are all adjusted. Now, it doesn't mean I don't change, but it means I can I write down the rules under which I do change. Very, very clear. And, and this is a, a, a big tool for, for macroeconomics. Now, one of the points about this is that, about uh, Bellman's um, principle, is that in order to characterize the entire time horizon, I only ever have to compare two adjacent time periods. Any pair of adjacent time periods completely characterize the whole, the whole time now. And that's what makes it so easy to, to deal with. So we'll let see what the problem is. Okay, so this is a standard uh, um, um, uh, interstellar optimization problem. We've got a constant the rate of discount, obviously that's exponential discounting. And then the instantaneous utility function depends on age, which is the state, which is the uh, Consumption, which is chosen. The number of children, which is a stock. The labor supply, chosen in every time period. And the fertility problem, which is chosen in every time period. And then each of the states if, if, um, uh, evolves like this. So the first one is the easiest one, like the one down the bottom. Right? 
That just tells me that experience, stopping experience at every time frame, is simply augmented with the amount of work I do. So we're going to measure this simply in terms of hours. And, and experience at any time is simply the integral of hours worked through your life up to that point in time. So experience is directly proportional to the, uh, directly equal to this cumulative uh, Obviously, the number of uh, stock of children depends on fertility, accumulates with fertility. And it's, uh, it's a net fertility concept, it's net, net of child death. And the, um, this is the, uh, in some respects, is the most familiar, but it's also the, uh, perhaps the most uh, um, unusual uh, feature here. This is the evolution of wealth, and of course, the evolution of wealth, the change in wealth is simply the difference between income. And consumption. So, what's income? Well, this is the return on, on stock of uh, stock of wealth, wealth. And then my current income, of course, is wages. B is not wages. Wages times the labor supply minus consumption. Now, here's the point here. On this one is what determines wages. Now, this is a household choice problem. So, the two things we're going to not specify are the accumulated income and the division between market and non-market activities, but they're going to be in there. So we're going to capture this entirely with an easier type. Is that the wage rate at any point in time depends on your cumulative experience and on your number of children. It's quite clear from what Declan has said that we're going to actually point out critically <coughs> to include the number of children as a determinant of wage rates. What's, what we're going to argue here is that we can describe the lifetime decisions of a woman in all of these three categories, consumption, labor, and simply by her response to the time pattern of wages. The, exogen the exogenous, the sort of exogenous factors that often appear in uh, regressions like this are completely captured by, by wages. The woman is consistently and rationally responding to the time path of wages, but it's that which changes, and Declan will actually show you precisely what sort of means here we're looking at. So this, we're going to analyze an optical control problem using Bellman's equation, Bellman's probability, and of course, there will be, uh, as you can gather, Three first order conditions corresponding to each of the three uh, uh, controls, and then three, three equations, uh, three equations of motion as well, three uh, capital equations associated with the three states. Okay. Now let's look at the order equations because there'll be an order equation for every uh, for every uh, control. So this one, uh, I hope you all know it enough. It simply tells you marginal. The discounted marginal rate, each time substitution between goods and goods in the future is equal to the rate of interest. In fact, as it uh, stands, unless I were to say something else, it would simply be an equation telling you about riskless bonds at price. Do you remember riskless bonds? Remember that? They used to exist now. And uh, that's all there is, it just tells you it's a one period riskless suffering. But in fact, it's, it's, it's the equation which tells us how consumption evolves. Consumption is The difference here is that our utility function depends on the number of children. So in fact, consumption in each in each time period depends on the number of children. Consumption in each in each time period depends on the number of children. Marginal utility consumption depends on the number of children. And um, critically for us, the uh, women might have children. Uh, this, this is not a, a trivial point. It's quite clear that, that, uh, that the stock of children takes away from your ability to actually earn income. 
unless people get direct positive utility from children, then it will be a completely the horror solution to stop the children would be zero. You know, no problem having children. They actually like having children. And so this other thing will track the way the moral utility goes is actually affected by the stop of children. Now, this one's going to take a bit of time because uh, it's actually quite often. In a normal um, uh, problem involving lifetime choice problem involving consumption of labor supply, there really isn't a labor order equation at all. Because what actually happens is we take the sort of the bond price equation, which um, tells us that the intertemporal marginal substitution is equal to the rate of interest. And we substitute in the, into this a rather standard idea that the, that the instantaneous marginal rate of substitution between, uh, between leisure and goods is equal to and by that substitution, we get what looks like an independent equation, namely that the, uh, which tells us that the, uh, that the intertemporal model of substitution between leisure now and leisure in the future is equal to the, uh, the own real, the wage real rate of interest, that is the rate of interest minus the uh, wage growth rate. But it's not really an independent order of equation because not in any inter intertemporal sense. It's, it's simply obtained by substituting in something very similar to the last one. This is a completely independent. And where it's coming from is, of course, the whole point is that whether you work now or not depends on the uh, effects of the experience you accumulate. And the experience you accumulate changes your wage in the future. I want you to consider, first of all, the possibility that there is absolutely no means to affect the experience at all of wages. So this goes to zero. Now, if that happens, I haven't actually, there's nothing there. The whole thing falls apart. Because if that's the case, then the marginal, the, 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 the instantaneous marginal rate of substitution between leisure and consumption is just equal to the wage rate. The same thing will happen in the future. So I end up with an order equation which tells me that zero equals zero plus zero. Not a very interesting equation indeed. Now let's introduce the a positive effect of experiencing wages. Now this expression is positive over the marginal rate of substitution. So that's that's positive. If, if I was to maintain the idea that the, that the instantaneous marginal substitution between labor and consumption remained equal to the wage rate, then I would have zero plus positive equals zero and positive. Something's got to give. And in particular, since this is positive, this is going to have one thing. That's for sure. That's for certain. So what does that mean? It simply means that when I make my labor, my labor um, uh, choice in this time period, far from simply equating it, Equating my the the, 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 the marginal rate of substitution between goods and leisure with the wage rate, I would actually work more than that, thereby making this even more negative. This expression even more negative, because I'm conscious of the effect that <coughs> have on my stock of experience and my wage in the future, and of course I will also affect this. So this will not hold as zero, nor will this. They will both be negative, meaning that people will actually increase their labor to reflect their own certain knowledge of how this affects accumulates on experience and accumulates on weight. And that is what that order equation says. It says that people take like a surplus, they think a rather deficit, as it turns out, a deficit they get from the normal relationship, and they take the advantage they're going to get on wages in the future and bring it forward. And that's exactly what this order equation. This is, a, this is a truly a true original order equation, unlike the conventional order equation, which is really almost content. 
Okay, here's the facility equation, and this is a very similar structure. How does the woman make a choice about fertility? She chooses the probability of, uh, of, of fertility. Well, in the absence of any immune effect here, or any impact of children or relations, that's a good thing. What would the other equation look like? Well, we have three elements this, this, and this. Let's forget about this problem. I could make a complete trivial by simply saying, I choose my fertility, I smooth my fertility choice over time, so the marginal fertility of fertility now is equal to the standard marginal fertility. Perfect. Almost for practice. Because I have to take account of the fact that I rather like children. So if I actually choose to have a child now, then I'm going to have, I'm going to actually have the child in the future, and I will carry it in, I'm going to get the benefit that I value on having children. So that comes in there. To something else as well. Because if I have a child now, I will, it, this will have a negative impact on my wage in the future. And this arising in the future, everything gets back at the margin of the good. And that negativity has also got to be taken into account. So instead of just smoothing my fertility in some lab way over time, I take account of the, of the impact of having on stuff with children and the value that has to be. I also take into account the negative impact it has on my wages and uh, the lack of value that has for me. So it's a uh, I'm going to hand back to my car my, my colleague here what is it? Uh, right, so the data we're going to use uh, is this National Longitudinal Survey data from the States. Um, so they collected data on uh, 5,000 women in 1968. They uh, surveyed them in five consecutive years until 1972 or 1973, I think. Uh, and then they followed a 221 program from then on until the 90s when they, they started uh, surveying every second year. Uh, they started off with, you know, a full complement, 100% of, uh, of people interviewed, and then over time it sort of dwindled away to about 50%. Uh, they, they actively tried to uh, retain as many people as possible. Um, so uh, the, the data is very comprehensive. It covers labor force behavior, income, assets, decisions to involve with work, uh, and also depending on the stage of life the woman was at, uh, childcare, whether she looked after elderly parents, uh, planning for the future retirement and, and so on. Uh, so what we have first of all, they, these are basically descriptive statistics, but they sort of inform what, what we do. Uh, what we have here is a division between uh, highly educated women, uh, these are women who progress beyond high school, and low educated women, and we look at their fertility over the, the periods from uh, 14 to 50. Uh, and what we find is that first of all that uh, Low-educated uh, low women tend to have children earlier. Uh, you can obviously see this delaying effect kicking in here with the highly educated women. Uh, and to an extent, you can see from the graph as well that over the period that uh, low-educated women tend to have more children than, uh, than highly educated women. One of the things that we probably should have done there is to actually integrate under those two pairs. We can actually find that there would be a Okay, uh, the effect on labor then is, um, <clears throat> is more noticeable. This is the high educated women again, low educated women. The effect is a lot more noticeable in the case of the low educated women. Uh, and this is something that they find uh, in the earlier pieces of work as well, that basically high educated women tend to reduce the hours 
to work part-time, whereas uh, low-educated women tend to drop out of the workforce entirely. Uh, so you sort of see that effect here. And um, th this essentially is what we're trying to model. We want to, to look at our, our uh, dynamic optimization problem, see if we can replicate these effects through the action of the wage cost penalty that we noticed earlier on. Um, uh, so this is replicating the, the graph that I showed you earlier. It's not as neat as the, the one from Elwood, but essentially shows a similar kind of pattern that uh, as soon as the woman has a child, she goes on a, a wage growth path that's, that's flatter. <clears throat> so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to incorporate this effect to explain the previous two graphs. In your model, I remember, it's the number of children that affect the labor supply, no, no. It, I mean, this graph essentially is saying as soon as you have the child, you immediately go on to the, the lower wage growth path. Yeah, I mean, you're right in identifying two different effects. There's, there's the effect of having a child or not, and that essentially is what this graph is about. Uh, to an extent also, in some of the, the work, they also notice um, that the number of children actually has an effect, but doesn't tend to be as important as whether you have a child or not. But your point is that, uh, that, that this, this effect comes true in the wages. But as Michael says, it doesn't come true in the optimization problem. The, the wages are kind of almost determined exogenously. And then the woman derives utility from her wage and, and fertility and labor decision. Oops, sorry. Uh, OK, so uh, this might seem a wee bit confusing, but um, it's quite straightforward, really. If you ignore this term at the, at the end, what you have is the woman's wage is determined by her education. It's determined by her experience. Uh, does curvature on that basically just doesn't increase linearly forever it kind of you know uh, flattens out over time uh, but what we have here is we have a different wage growth path uh, relative to experience that is determined by a number of different factors uh, first of all is the woman highly skilled or not yeah so basically we saw that effect before only applied to women who are highly skilled so that's a dummy is she highly skilled or not if she isn't then that effect doesn't exist so if she's highly skilled, you do get that lower wage growth path. Um, this log term here, uh, this is experience here again. Uh, so this log term essentially is kind of like a dummy variable. So if we just consider it purely as a dummy variable, first of all, if she doesn't have any children, this is log of one, so that effect disappears as well. If she has a child, then this effect comes in. Uh, there is an effect to a degree of the additional children, uh, but it's not as strong as the effect of having children or not. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, that's the model of wage rate. 
so when you, uh, you generate, first of all, here's the, the estimate of the model, apply the data, all the, the, the various parameters and the correct direction and significant and whatnot. Uh, if you apply it to uh, a theoretical woman who works full time, she has one child at 28, you see the kind of stylized effect kicking in that we saw in those previous graphs. So as soon as she has a child, she's on a different wage growth path. Okay? What we're trying to replicate here is not just that a woman who has uh, a wage loss, but also the rate of growth of wage, that is, the challenge we experience. That's what we're trying to So, in a way, this is sort of determined exogenously. Uh, so then this feeds into her utility function. Uh, in the model, labor supply and fertility are endogenous to each other. But it looks like you're just running this all as regression where you're treating them as exogenous. Is that right? You know, you won't be very surprised as to whether it's true. Okay, then I'll take it back. And remember, one of the things about optimal control costs is the tenure of it's in any period. See, if I'm comparing two, two time periods, then the implication is that any earlier time period is completely Which we were dealing with conversation from the very, very So, Michael er, earlier showed you a, a number of different utility, uh, sorry, Euler equations. Uh, so, essentially, this is the utility function that we feed into the, these equations. Uh, so it's separable in consumption, labor, and fertility. Uh, first of all, in consumption, we just have the log of consumption here. Uh, but we also have a term uh, reflecting the fact that the woman derives utility from having children. She wants to have children. Uh, so we're expecting the pi term to be greater than zero. Come back to this one in a second. Uh, so we have on the labor side, we have that she's disutility uh, in working. She doesn't want to work. Uh, but that's compounded by the number of children she has. So basically, she has to split her time between home and work. So the more children she has, the more unpleasant it is to work. Uh, and lastly, in the fertility uh, component, we have that the woman essentially is trying to match her fertility to what her age group are doing. So as soon as she does anything different than what her age group are doing, she experiences a disutility. We have over here uh, a term that reflects the number of adults in the household. So for example, if rho was negative, basically her, this is, this is family consumption. So if rho is negative, well then her utility would be diminished because the family consumption split among a greater number of adults. On the other hand, if for some reason she derives utility from adults in the household, like for example, if she's caring for an elderly parent or uh, these other people. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's important to understand how husbands fit in here. Men are essentially uh, is that uh, whether a woman has a husband or not gives her utility through this mechanism, but, but doesn't affect any of her decisions on the margin. If a husband brings in extra income, then you just add a lump sum income to the, uh, to the wealth accumulation equation. So that's all. What's completely not that. So men are sort of like on Okay, so we feed this utility function then into those Euler equations before, and we generate uh, three Euler equations. Uh, they get quite complicated, but this one is relatively uh, simple in form. 
uh, what we have here is that the percentage uh, increase in, uh, in consumption is related to the discount rate, the real rate of interest, the change in the number of adults in the household, and the change in the number of children in the household. Uh, unfortunately, the other two are not very easy to interpret. They're very uh, complicated. Uh, so essentially what we do then is we, um, well, we initially started out using three-stage least squares and trying to estimate all three equations at the same time, uh, which didn't, uh, couldn't, it couldn't really be done. So what we decided in the end was we would uh, run the consumption and labor equations together, derive the parameters from there, and then feed the parameters into the fertility equation to generate uh, essentially dismissing component this uh, omega f term. So we're using three-stage least squares in the consumption and labor part and then using two-stage least squares with the parameters being fixed in the, in the fertility equation. Uh, so these are the results that we generate then. We have a beta less than one, uh, significantly different to, to one. Uh, you can see where the terms are down below. So this is the term on utility of having children. Uh, adults provide utility, so positive utility. Uh, we have the omega f term here, which is large and significant. Uh, and we have lastly the omega l term. And uh, this is actually, seems tiny, significantly different to zero. It seems tiny because uh, essentially we haven't corrected for the fact that labor hours is in weekly hours and consumption is in annual consumption. So it, the parameter value would actually be larger. Uh, okay, so where we're at with that is that the next step, what we need to do is we need to, uh, to look at the parameter values that we have there and see if we can generate those graphs that I showed you earlier of um, the woman delaying fertility and delaying it by more if she's, um, if she's high skilled and also the interaction between fertility decisions and the, the labor market as well. Okay, that's it. Any questions? Mm -hmm. But that was based the, the, the 
Was it long shooting ceremony? Began in 79. Our one began in 68. The reason we used the 68 ceremony was we wanted to have a cohort of women who had completed their fertility. Oh. Whereas the 79 cohort, um, we hadn't got we hadn't the fertility. Okay. That's why we used um, so I have a question, maybe, maybe for Michael on the model, uh, and it's, it's very deep water for me, so put a, I'll share my, my reasoning with you. I'm sure it's even deeper water for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> One thing I didn't understand, maybe, maybe you could clarify, is that you said the type path for wages, both market and non-market, were considered the same. Um, so a difficulty I have with that is, is the fact that non-market uh, wages, which I assume refers to something like a, a state transfer, is exogenous to one's ability and one's choice within the labour market. Uh, and so rather than women loving children, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a case that the state loves children. Uh, and that, that's a variable outside of their, their control. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll, I'll ask uh, you, I have another question. You know, but I, I actually was waiting to hear the question. Well, you, the question you is, could you explain for, for me um, why you're assuming that market and non-market time paths are following the same trend? Um, you said the time path of wages for, for market yeah. and non-market. Well, well there's no, we, we didn't actually include the non-market explicitly on this. So they're not... They're House, not they're household labour no, no, household labor is in two different ways. Uh, first of all, um, um, and basically, just go back to the... Uh, the, 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 the uh, let's go back to it. Yeah, you look, just look at that. Um, Labour supply gets diminished in proportion to the number of children. That's how we we reflect the allocation, the reallocation of time away from market activities to non-market activities. We don't value market activities. Non-market activities at all. There's no practice of non-market activities. And nor do you include any so you don't include non-market. No, but that's how we that's how we capture. But but non, the, re the reason why non-market non uh, income is directly related to the number of children in, in a welfare state. You mean by lump sum transfers? By lump sum transfers from, from the right. state. I mean, up until very recently in the UK and, and, and right now in Ireland, it's, it's, right. you know, it's completely exogenous, right. except for the number of children. It's just determined by the number of children. Right. Well, now we're dealing with the United States, where the welfare state is not quite well. And in terms of the family consumption variable, it does actually include state transfers and everything under the sun. It does. Yeah. yeah. So your concern is that part of wealth Part of currency economy is state dependent. Yeah, and, and yeah. part of the fertility decision would, uh, if you follow through, uh, depend then upon upon the, it would, the yeah. structure. If that, if that were the case, so our income is not dependent on the on the number of children, right? And you're right about that. Uh, now the question is, what fraction of income depends on the, how sensitive is income to the number of children? Now, with every stylized model. You know, you, you make judgments about well, how important that is. And in a country where essentially no welfare state, virtually no welfare state, I wonder is that a. Uh, okay. I wonder is that a big. So it's just a tax credit for children. Hmm? It's just a tax credit for children. Yeah. And I don't even know if you're going to get it. And then, thanks, that was clear. Uh, just on the, on the data side, uh, maybe following from, from what I was thinking earlier. Um, See, so you said that uh, in, in response to Paul's question that 
you know, the, the more important variable is whether you have a child or not. Not, yeah. not mm -hmm. necessarily how yes. many children you have. Yes. So in that regard, have you, have you controlled for a limiting disability? Because you know, if you haven't, then the, the effect you're getting on having a child and not having a child you know, includes a limiting disability. So if, if you're assuming that the wage rate is determined by having a child and not a child, then for that to be precise, you would need to control for a limiting disability. Given that someone with a limiting disability is unlikely to have a child, and also is at a disadvantage in the labor market. Well, I don't think so. I think it's correlated directly to um, your, your wage path yes. and your, your likelihood of, of uh, your fertility. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a, it's a, I would say without controlling for it, to me it would seem like a problem. And what I'm trying to do is, I mean, I was hearing that what we're trying to do is to avoid any ad hoc classification at all. And if you're right, uh, this particular piece of that property uh, leads to serious inconsistencies in estimation, then the strategy, the stylized strategy, is failing that we just have that line of thought. So, would you like to? Yeah, well, the, the, other, the other simple way to take account of it, assuming that uh, the disability is a long term disability and just doesn't suddenly kick in at a certain time, is that you would control for that using fixed effects in the wages. So, I mean, we are actually planning to amend the wage uh, function to actually incorporate yeah. fixed effects as well. Mm -hmm. So, it probably will get around that problem. Would that make you happier? It would. Because you don't look happy. Uh, I'm happier now that, that you've uh, mentioned fixed with, effects. Dealt with the issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, thank God for fixed effects. Anyway, cool. uh, I'm just wondering with the discount rate. Yes. I mean, I'm, I would kind of expect it to vary. Precisely with what you're interested in, you know, the age at which somebody decides to have a child. Yeah. Is that a problem? Is it, it would it be possible to have the discount rate to vary with that fertility decision? Is that possible? It's, but I, I did mention this at the beginning. Having a constant discount rate, I mean, our exponential discount rate here, is really critical to have consistency. And I know that uh, quite a number of people who would be very You couldn't actually, you can't do that for me because you don't need to do that consistently. I'm not on to the text of what you're saying. You know? um, not so much that. It's, uh, but, but you're right in saying that there's no way you can even adapt the model if, uh, if you do that consistently. I'm not sure if that's quite what I meant. Yeah. Could you allow it to vary by the group, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can still have time consistency. Oh, you mean yeah, but it's, that changes the number of children you have changes over time. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you can buy technical by someone like Harris like that race, and then separately you can just reach. It must be an unvarying, an unvarying characteristic. Don't yeah. change your age, but everyone will then go through. That, that would mean you had a different discount in time period. Right? But the age at which you decide on the first child. Yeah. Oh, I can see. I can see how you might well think that. So, but it's. Uh, but can you see that the essence of, uh, of water equations is that you can take any two time periods and just compare them. Now, of course, if I had to do it, well, I go to compare two time periods before I have a child, and then another two time period after I have a child. It quickly ends up with a multiple system of the universe. And it's an insoluble system. Okay, I wasn't arguing that your discount rate changes at, at the time you decide to have a child. 
I'm just saying that people who decide to have children at in their in their twenties right. probably or yeah. I would imagine have a a lower discount rate than people who decide to have kids in their yeah. thirties. Yeah. Right. So I don't see how that that needs well, to we're, 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 we're trying to, we're trying to argue in this that we can successfully predict why people women have children earlier rather than later. Now, if we failed to do that, and we haven't actually presented you with very few, other than you know, we've estimated the problem, we haven't presented you with still patients we did to do that. And if we were able to track those pictures you saw when it comes to this kind, would you would you feel good? Would you, would you, no, feel, better than him? Would you feel better than him? Yeah, He's smiling now, but I mean, it's, um, it's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's, um, trying to make it simple as possible. You see, so much work that we see in the social area, and I'm afraid that. There's so many exogenous variables, so many controls, that you wonder what is actually your perspective. So, so much of it is off the table. What we're trying to do here is a little bit of extreme. How much can we explain completely on the And uh, that's the challenge. It's a pretty, it's pretty nerve wracking challenge. And we go as far as we expect. I'm just curious, this is not a criticism in any way. As to well, why would I be worried about this? But why do you use the two stages, three stages squares rather than the following Keene or Wilson used to estimate the whole dynamic structure of the. Simultaneously. Like, no, I mean, it tends to do maximum likelihood and dynamic programming. Like, they don't have a lot of papers in literature, they do do some sort of maximum likelihood estimation. Yeah. And well, solve the dynamic programming problem fully. Yeah. Um, well, we could do full information maximum likelihood instead of uh, three stages. I'm just curious why you chose this yeah. rather than Well, I, I, we're actually not about distributions. You know, I, I, I remain to possibly, I remain to be that we're doing something normal for them. I'm not sure what we are doing in terms of distributions. But these firms are going to be distributions. Right, so that's what you mean, it's just to avoid yeah. making distributions. Yeah. So I'm just curious. So you get best in the on that rather than yeah. that most efficient. No, I see that advantage. I'm just curious why they didn't do this. So I wonder if they yeah. thought about that. But this seems much easier than, like, if you look at Hoss Miller or these other guys, they, they tear their hair out trying to solve these models. I know, yeah. Um, yeah. But you guys do two stages squares. <laughs> and I just wonder why they tear their hair out here instead of doing two stages squares. What, what, what is the benefit to this more complicated solution? Because if, if you use full information, I feel like you get very well out. Uh, I, I, I can't That's why I think there. I can't about it. Where do you live in the PG linear? I mean, I can ask her if you can see that. And um, if you uh, if you live in the PG linear, where like we are quite happy with that, then that's 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 interesting. Yeah, I and don't you know, don't have to try and convince you that a two equation really is independent variable has a normal distribution, which is a bad answer. Okay. No, I, I see that point. I just I can't believe they're doing this complicated stuff just for efficiency. Right. Uh, that we've been there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, these models are nonlinear, of course, in 
both very within parameters. So, you know, finding uh, initial conditions and uh, to achieve convergence are, is not trivial, right? And it's particularly worrying when you're doing a crawl or a nonlinear estimation of the region, and suddenly the next thing will be a, 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 a new race and make the matrix. Those things are so yeah, we've been there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean we'll it, admit to this. well, originally, like we were planning to run the mincer and solve that simultaneously with the three equations, the three other equations, but it just proved impossible to actually get sensible results out of it. So I mean, we had to break it up into three different problems, really. You, you get lots of multiple improvement. You know, but, you know uh, it's slightly worrying. You know, when you when you get a solution that is insane. So you have to guide it. It's a bit like uh, being living in North Korea. And the kind of people need guidance. And I'm a great fan of people who need lots of guidance. So you have to find out the solution first to get ahead. And then, you, and then you give the solution to the condition converted into a That's the way you do it. So um, any more uh, uh, remarks that could challenge my cynicism? Maybe bring out, bring out a little bit of idealism? I doubt it in my case. No. No. Like if anyone wants to ask me you know, questions about the meaning of life in the privacy, afterwards I won't tell you when you ask that question. Thank you. You want to be here for the privacy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.